Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode. Here we are again. Uh-huh, of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Cornell Woodson. And I'm Sharon Brown. And we have two fabulous guests today. We have... <laughs> you gotta understand, Cornell, in the community. I nailed this just before we got out there. Okay, so now I'm a little nervous because our eyes are on me, but that's okay. I'm gonna get through it. We have Christopher Lujan, who is the director of Cornell's LGBT Resource Center here at the university. And we have Luca Maurer from Ithaca College, who is also the director of the LGBT Resource Center there. Welcome and welcome. Thank See, you. That was good. <laughs> so today we're talking about um, what it means to build and create um, an inclusive space for uh, trans individuals and tra- trans employees in the workplace. Um, and I, you know, we decided to do this particular topic because we just released the Transgender Guide mm-hmm. on Transitioning and Coming Out and Gender Affirmation at Work, um, and really thought that this was. Uh, it, we've gotten so much uh, feedback around that particular tool um, and excitement around the workshop that our department offers and we thought okay people really have questions around that this and so we thought let's have a conversation about it um, and kind of jump into that so I think my first question, uh, and this is for, for all of us, um, actually, you know, we've got to do our question of the month. Oh, before yes. we do the question of the month, okay, we'll do the question of the month, and yes. then you're just going to give us a quick overview of what the trans guide is. I'm going to do that afterwards. Okay. Yes. So, all right. So the question, the, the, the surprise mystery question oh. of the month is... You guys ready? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, what makes you feel like you can be your authentic self at work? I think we're all stumped. The room is stumped. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what makes you, what, what needs to exist and happen for you to be able to bring your full self to work? Uh, do you guys, any of, either of you want to uh, jump in first? I will, sure. Uh, okay, again, this is Luca. Yes, hi, this is Luca. Uh, for me, one thing I think that's, that's essential is having an idea that I'm in a space where it's possible for people to show compassion for each other, Mm. um, where it's possible for me to have self-compassion, and where we are, again, in a space where we are not trying to be perfect, but we are trying to be reflective and supportive and affirming in a a way that that recognizes our common humanity. That's really good, that's Mm -hmm. really good. Anyone else? No oh. pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what he said, plus, um, I think that for me, I need to see the human side of the people I'm working with. I need to know that I am dealing with um, people who can be vulnerable when it's time to be vulnerable, people who show that they are not perfect. You know, um, it, it's important for me to know that I have room to be imperfect myself. And that way I can bring my flawed self and my fabulous self all on the same day mm-hmm. and just just have a fuller experience of the people I'm with. I think that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I think I could piggyback off that. Um, as someone who's new to Cornell, been here for maybe up to four months, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out how I can be my authentic self has been something that's been kind of a little bit of a challenge for me. Mm. Um, I think when it comes to the vulnerability piece, um, I think it's important that spaces are built um, so that trust is able to be built in yes. those spaces, right? Yes. So you can't really come into these spaces right off the bat, your full authentic self, when you kind of, um, you need that trust within the people yes. you work with. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me, 
as someone coming into a new space, it's like, how can we build that trust together? Absolutely. That resonates with me a, a lot. And for me, it's more about will people use my authentic self against me, right? Mm-hmm. When I choose to be me, um, will they accept it? And then will they, you know, or pretend to? I've been in spaces where people pretend to like like me for who I am, but then they go off and talk to my boss about something or, just, you know, so being very careful about who I choose to uh, allow to see me in my totality, my, the holistic part of Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that trust is really, really important for me, particularly in this area of my career. Um, right. but yeah, it's been yeah. really, you know, even just being able to sort of talk about the things that frustrate me, right. you know, as opposed to just sort of letting that letting the things go or only going home to talk about it. Being able to do that with colleagues mm-hmm. um, is a part of me being authentic, but I have to trust you, you know, to feel like you're not going to yeah. run off and tell people that I just had this frustration about an, an individual yeah. or whatever. So, And then for me, I'm just going to go a little bit further with that because although we were using the word trust and authentic self and things like that, what keeps ringing back to me is the word of safety. I need to feel safe, whether it's emotionally safe and, of course, physically safe. I need to feel like everything is not on the line all the time mm-hmm. if, if I bring my authentic self. I need to know that I am not putting myself too much at risk. I still feel safe enough to be who I am mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And, and, and of course, be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think for me, the underlying tone is safety in addition to vulnerability and imperfection. I absolutely. need to feel safe. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good, yeah. So jumping into our topic about yes. creating inclusive spaces for, for trans people, I think my the, the big question that I get a lot from managers and supervisors is, is, what does that look like? What does an inclusive space look like for trans people? Because that that's different for all different types of identities, but there also might be some similarities. So what are the various components of a space that is inclusive of trans people? And anyone can kind of jump into that. I think one of the first places to go is just like language and how we're using it, mm-hmm. right? Um, how we're um, respecting people's pronouns, how we're respecting uh, a person's preferred name to use, whether it's legally changed or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think th- that's one of the basic things of how we can create that inclusive yeah. space. Um, what does our language look like in our forms, in our presentations that we make? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we making sure that we're not living in this binary world of just using um, our male or female pronouns or just language that uses that binary, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think for me, that's kind of one of the basic places to start when creating an inclusive space is yeah. looking at what that language looks like. Right. I know, I, I know one thing that I tend to tell people when I do workshops is the act of asking people pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, even cis, cis people at asking each other their pronouns. And I think that's, you know, appropriate to bring up because right. yesterday was International Pronouns Day, right? Yes. Um, and, yes. and normalizing. The, but people get, you know, I love that... Well, Luca, you 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 were big. You were a big part of, of starting that. I'll try not to shot you out yeah, without, without, without only, <laughs> only one but, part of it, yes. right? But yes. you 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 were a piece, a part of that group that started yes. the International Pronouns Day. And when I tell people, like, it's okay to ask people their pronouns, but ask everyone their pronouns. Yes. Right. That's so awkward yeah. for people. People it are like, is. wait, what? Yes. And I think because we live in such a world where we're taught to mind our business, but yet we still don't mind our business. Right. 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 You know. But the, the one moment where I say like ask people ask you know pronouns to so make sure that we're referring to people in the appropriate way is one big way to show that we're inclusive in that oh, way absolutely absolutely and uh, again yes we're we're flush on our um, 
our uh, successes from the first International Pronouns Day, which sought to, to normalize asking pronouns, sharing pronouns um, as a piece of, again, showing our common respect yeah. for each other as, as human beings. And at the same time, I, I feel personally challenged um, because it should not just be that one day, right? Yeah. That one day was to raise awareness, yeah. Yeah. and that's great. Yeah. And I'm already working with students around how can we carry this forward every single day. Yes, Absolutely. there seemed to be a lot of support and a lot of participation that one day. Also, there's the 364 other days, yeah. right, yeah. where, again, we want to validate that people are doing that, normalize it for everyone, as you said, Cornell, yeah. especially for cisgender people, mm -hmm. right, that, again, yeah. People have different levels of uh, risk or privilege when they share, and it's important for folks to have an understanding of what, what that would be like, right. depending on your position of power or privilege. Absolutely, right. absolutely. And, and since we're on the topic of pronouns in, in particular, because I think that's, you know, I, I think it's such a big indicator of like, you may not be, the space may not be perfect, right? Right. You know, it doesn't mean that there won't ever be a moment where, you know, transphobia comes up, but that there's a sense of people are trying and people get it to some degree that there might be some level of safety here because at least you're doing that when I, I get a lot of pushback on the they them theirs pronouns well that's and, just the grammarian in me I, right I, right right <laughs> and not that it was you Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it wasn't but, me but but it's usually you know the people who are like that's not grammatically correct how does one respond as, as directors of, of centers where you, you know this is a part of your work how do you respond to that kind of pushback Luckily, I <laughs> I used to have a paragraph that I would use to describe this. Mm -hmm. Now, luckily, all I can say, you should refer to the tweets that the Oxford English Dictionary sent yesterday mm -hmm. and Merriam-Webster's and Dictionary.com. They all got in on Pronouns Day yeah. oh, by wow. tweeting the fact that using they, mm -hmm. them as a singular pronoun has been in use since the 17th century or, or earlier. And that again, if we are really promoting that people have the ability to self-determine, to have agency, right, to advocate, to be to be mm -hmm. referred to in the way that is most authentic for themselves, right. that even if we experienced trauma from our sixth grade grammar teacher, yes, <laughs> right, and I, no, I'm there with you, right, this and the red terrible. pen is all over, I know, I know that feeling, that still people being able to be in, in that seat and determine for themselves the most wow. respectful way in which people should refer to them, that is of the utmost. And if we do need to, to sort of hash out for ourselves the fact that that is difficult or complicated or confusing, that's fine. Yeah. And not doing that directly to the person who's using the pronouns, but finding people outside of that circle um, to sort of go through that conversation with and get get support from. Yeah. And I think as individuals, we, we do get to say what we want to be called. So whether it's a pronoun day or not, or the other 364 days in the year, um, a perfect example for me is, yeah, I'm a cisgender woman. I went to um, the dentist not too long ago, and my name is written down. And I think my name is phonetic. I think my name is sounds exactly the way it looks in mm. writing and they insist on calling me Sharon instead of Sharon and mm. I'm thinking to myself 
you don't get to call me what you want. Mm-hmm. I get to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is this is all part of owning myself. This is who I am. Mm. This is I get to tell you how to pronounce my name and you don't make an assumption. So this is essentially an extension of don't make an assumption. Please feel free to ask me how to pronounce yeah. or ask me what my pronoun is. It, it, yeah. It's all part of the same for me. It's my identity. It is who I am. And um, you... You don't get a choice in that. Mm-hmm. So that's what and, and to me, that's empathy, right? Because as a cis person, I may not understand or have ever experienced the being mis, uh, misgendered, right? Or having the wrong pronoun used. But I can understand, right? I can find some space of understanding the feeling of like, I don't like it when people choose that, the, oh, I'm going to call you this because I can't pronounce your real name. Oh, right? yes. I, so, oh so I understand the emotion, oh even yeah. if the scenario is different. Mm-hmm. And I think if yes. more people did practice that, right? Like, I don't understand what that's like, but what I hear you telling me is that it, it makes you feel invisible, right? Or that what who you are doesn't matter, and that's where we can connect. Absolutely. You know, and I wish more, I wish more people did, you know, sort yeah. of what you just described. I actually told them to, can you please write it down on the chart so that when you see me again in six months, yeah. we don't have to have this conversation yet again. Yeah. I, and, and I was really nice about it, yeah. but I was clear, and, you know, they apologized and everything like that, and I'm like, Dude, I've been coming here for quite some time now, and I know I tell you this almost every time mm-hmm. I come. I don't feel valued. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody wants to feel devalued, yeah. no matter what the scenario yeah, is. Absolutely. And I think that if using someone's pronoun or calling them by their right name, that's not asking too much. Right. <laughs> I don't right. think that's an unreasonable request. You don't need to understand transgender issues in order to, to do what a person has asked you to do. Right. <laughs> call me Tom, call me Sarah, call me, right, exactly. or nothing at all. <laughs> Yeah. When going back to like creating the inclusive space and like uh, what this means, mm-hmm. um, for those of us who work in, in positions where a relationship building is everything crucial, to what we do, right? right? Yeah. Something as easy as questioning someone's pronouns mm. takes away that respect, takes mm-hmm. away that trust, yeah. and leaves us in a space where we're not able to do our work fully and wholly with these individuals, yeah. right? So it's really important that we're able to have these conversations about honoring and respecting what this person wants, regardless if it's a grammatically incorrect or not, right? right. Um, right. Our job is to provide a service, provide a connection, yeah. and we're not doing that properly if we're not respecting yeah, each other in absolutely. that sense. So I want to move away from pronouns after this last question. Mm -hmm. The trans experience is more than just pronouns, right? There's some other things. Um, But one question I get often, too, is is it just as simple as walking up to someone and saying, what are your pronouns? Like, is it is it just that? What's the the appropriate way to do that? I have my thoughts, but I wanted to ask other people, like, is it that simple? I usually suggest um, that the person model by introducing themselves and saying, my name is Luca, my pronouns are he and him, right. yeah. tell I'm me sure about I'm you. Yeah. 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 And right. it needs to be um, voluntary. So, yeah. so again, I've sometimes been in situations where people do that very well and very in a very affirming way. Yeah. And other spaces where it seems like folks are getting the impression that it's mandatory that they share them. Mm-hmm. And so I wanna encourage people to, to set the tone and then allow people to share what they feel safe sharing to go back to, to what you were saying. Yes. Right, right, yes, right. Definitely. That that's somewhat the that's the same model that I use yeah. when I when I introduce pronouns mm-hmm. um, to individuals. And 
but it is kind of that easy as far as just yeah. modeling that behavior, right? Yeah. Um, I think something also to like kind of mention in that though is like also validating the feeling that that may feel really weird yeah. and um, and different for someone who doesn't consistently practice that, right? right. I think sometimes myself and you may feel this too i tend to live in this bubble this lgbtq plus bubble Mm -hmm. where like pronouns is like it's everything it's like like breathing like it just happens every day right yeah so to go into a room of like professors who have been at cornell for 30 years and tell them this practice that's going to feel really really different for them so you have to kind of also validate that you're going to feel a little bit different when you when you when you when you normalize this and practice yeah, that yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely what other aspects of uh, of a space makes it inclusive for trans people Luca, did you have anything you want to add to Christopher's list i think uh, again i would encourage folks in any kind of environment, particularly in higher ed, but in any kind of environment, to do like an environmental audit mm-hmm. of, and and you all have raised some of these issues already around forms, mm-hmm. right? Do your yes. forms reflect that people have That's different so family funny. structures? Do your forms have space, if you're asking people to give demographics, mm-hmm. is there space for people to really disclose who they, who they really are? Or not look around the walls. Right. What's up on the walls? What language is yes. is stuff in? Is there music playing? Yeah. Who are the artists? Are any of the mm. artists LGBTQ? Are any of the artists people of color? Are yeah. are any of the artists singing in languages other than English? And so again, sort of looking around if you're entering a space um, and really taking in what you see here smell, mm-hmm. <laughs> taste maybe if there's yep. some snacks, right? Yep. Yep. And right. does it reflect the yeah. community in which you are? And in what ways does it reflect again power structures or or, or privilege? Yeah. And how can you break those down? We, the language has come up a, a couple of times so far. What can, can we unpack it a, a little bit more? What What do we mean by language um, that we use in workplaces that could be um, that could make someone who's trans not feel like well, when you say when you say something, you're talking to a, a cisgender person. Let's say a cis female like myself, and the question is, well, what does your husband do? That is the language. It's automatically assuming mm-hmm. that if I have a spouse, it is a male. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's part of the language okay. that needs to be checked in. Where to a person who is not um, aware of, you know, what it means to be transitioning, they not they clearly wouldn't understand that that language may be problematic yeah. by just making the assumption that I'm talking to a woman so and she's indicated that she's married so I'm going to ask her what her husband does. They won't automatically assume that something's wrong with that. So it's just uh, offering an opportunity to take a minute and understand that there is a chance that the person in front of you may present one way but their narrative is something else. Mm-hmm. So leave room in how you speak with this person to say, what are you married? What does your spouse do? Or okay. where, you know what I mean? So the, that little difference right there is just a slowing down, taking in and understanding that there's room for something to be different from what yeah. may be on the surface. You, you, you inspire a thought that I constantly have when people feel a need to even ask certain questions, right? I always tell people, stop. Why do you need to know? 
<laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Why, is it, why, like, why yeah. is that important? And, 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 yeah. and I get it. I get people's well intention of. I, I'm trying to find a way to connect. Right. Right. I always want to know trying, how old people are. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, my mama told me you don't person. never ask about <laughs> age. Right. But like, like, why do we need to know? Right. right and so you right. know, even when you're asking someone, you know, their their gen, you know, why? Why is that important in this right. moment? Does that right. change our relationship? The, you know, are you my doctor? Right. Like, you know, are you <laughs> completing a form? You're writing an article about me? Where right. you need to know those. Things, right. That to me is always the first question. At least I try to ask myself: Am I just being nosy, mm-hmm. or do I really need to know that answer? And I understand that people want and need to connect. I yeah. I completely understand that. And at the same time, um, as you said, I think that there are a lot of situations where people are well-meaning mm-hmm. and don't really think through: yeah. Do I need to know this information, or what might this feel like if this again, this person has several social identities that are not dominant, and right. I'm I'm really putting them on the spot as opposed to someone else answering and it's like oh sure here's a picture of my wife on my desk I'm thinking of I had an interaction with again a a lovely well-meaning person who was wanting to connect with me and some other folks that I know Um, she is a cis person she is a heterosexual person she had just read a book she loved by Sarah McBride Mm -hmm. um, and she was recounting the book and I was like I'm familiar with it talking about (laughs) and she got and she got to this point where she was like and I just thought I said what did you like best about it and she said I just thought it was so perfect you know that her husband was also transgender like that just sounds perfect and she was well-meaning and in my head I was again that again assumed all transgender people are heterosexual Uh which we're not Uh it it also sort of put she did not mean it this way, but it really was sort of, I took it in a, in a demeaning way yeah. because it was sort of like, oh, that's perfect. Transgender people will pair Found up each other, right? like Noah's Ark. And then you all know each other. Transgender people will not have to be, everyone <laughs> will be happy in their separately people. gendered marriages. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. it's not messy or complicated. Like, as if, as if, uh, as if two transgender people marrying isn't complicated, as complicated as two cisgender people. Right. Absolutely. But again, she, she was trying to connect mm-hmm. yeah. um, with her best self. Yeah. And, and I think that's, yeah. that also lends itself to how we communicate with each other because mm-hmm. if if I'm in the position where I have some kind of rapport or relationship with a person and I genuinely want information about something I know nothing about, I think it's it's very important to be mindful of how we are engaging. Mm. You know, and, and let me go a little further. Um, to come out of nowhere and say, Christopher uh, what's your pronoun? That it's out of context and it's uncomfortable. But if, if like like Lucas said earlier, to model the behavior, mm-hmm. to offer my information, and then that helps to establish a relationship, so that when we have the harder conversations, they become a little easier to have because mm-hmm. of the fact that we've already set some groundwork. Mm-hmm. I've modeled behavior, and and Christopher can see that I am genuinely interested in doing better, learning yeah, more, yeah. changing some behavior of my own. Mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. that that's all part of it. And, and some of the language pieces that I often think about too is like the, hey guys, Mm-hmm. Or, you know, boys and girls yeah. and ladies and gentlemen, like those kind of things that are so colloquial when we're addressing, you know, groups of people. Um, even, you know, if they're all cis people in, you know, the room, that is still problematic too. Um, but just, you know, just some of those things that we don't think about that have a deeper context um, that could make certain groups feel like, okay, like, huh, what if you're not in the binary there and now you're, you're not talking to me, so I must not need to be at this all staff meeting. So I'm moving <laughs> on. So, 
because I, <laughs> I wasn't included in your side, you right, know, in, in, right. in that as well. What are some other examples of kind of everyday language that people tend to use that really could be? I don't want to use the word problematic, but if that, yeah, problematic. Could be challenging. Yeah, cha- yeah, challenging. That's a good question. Let me think on that for a second. Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like people are probably thinking of like, well, you know, what are the everyday things that I do that like I potentially could be? Oh, I know what I do. It's terrible. It, it it's, um, doesn't happen as often in a formal work setting, mm-hmm. but among friends. I'd be like, girl, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, <laughs> or boy, bye, or something mm-hmm. like that. So I guess that okay. the slang behind it, that might okay. be something okay. that I can... Um, check in with myself about how often do I use it and uh, to whom and are you checking to whom you're doing it to right because right? Right? if you know that that's how they identify it yes. problematic yes. right yes. My, it's funny I, I laugh because my mom I grew up my, my, me and my mom have been best friends probably since I was five and she I grew up with her going girl let me tell you and so, and so I'm like yep and she still does she's like I'm sorry I'm like I'm fine right, right. <laughs> nothing wrong with being a girl so yeah. and know? I just say it because it's just easier it just falls out of my mouth uh-huh. but I understand that some people may be like um don't call me that. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it may be important just for like individuals who are listening mm-hmm. who may not really understand what um, not within the binary means. Yes. Right? Because I, I, yes. think, I think we oftentimes we assume yes. people know this language that we use. Again, yep. it's, that bubble we, it's that bubble we live in, right? You're so right. Um, so when we talk about non-binarily, yeah. uh, we're talking gender non-conforming individuals. Uh-huh. We're talking non-binary folks, so individuals who either um, are fluid within their gender mm-hmm. or fall outside of, of the non-binary, right? Mm-hmm. So um, really making sure that when we're, we're using our language, it doesn't fall within that binary, right. if that makes so, sense. So that, there, yeah. so that there are individuals who may not identify as either male or female. Right, right. Um, and that there are individuals who, when, when you turn, use the term fluid, that there are days where, you know, masculinity is more, their gender expression, and there are days where femininity is more, and there's days where, you know, there's, you know, kind of not at all, they wouldn't sign anything to it. So right. it, just to go even further in terms of that, that's, that's perfect. I'm th- mm-hmm. thankful yeah. that, well, that and you did I, that. And I really want uh, to underline that embedded in in those notions there are tons of assumptions i mean that's a very mm-hmm. to, to have to describe non-binary identity and non-binary experience um as if the entire world is ordered that way and all societies yeah. and all cultures right. see things yes. in either or right. black and white male or female ways right. that is not that that is not the way it is in all cultures throughout the world in fact I mean, the land in which, on yeah. which we are sitting right yes. now doing this interview, mm-hmm. right, right, is stolen yeah. land yeah. of peoples and cultures mm-hmm. who had very different ideas about many things across, yeah. across binary exactly. things that, yes. that, that uh, the dominant American culture sort of sees as binary. Exactly. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that. And what does that mean, right, when a society sort of has this whole view, but not everyone living here and certainly not historically indigenous people right right, from this very area had different um different ideas about that and and different ways of looking at the world that that are that more reflect um folks lived experience absolutely yeah absolutely so we've discussed language we've discussed pronouns um, you know even just kind of the questions that we tend to ask assumptions we make um we didn't talk about bathrooms oh we didn't. <laughs> well, let me just put it out there. Listen, in my house, 
I have toilets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are free to use whichever toilet. You want. <laughs> right, right, right. And so, and so, how does that translate into the workplace where we tend to have men's and women's bathroom? Why, why is bath the bathroom issue? One, why is it an issue? And you know, because I think a lot of people tend to ask, like, just go. But why is that such a big topic, particularly for trans individuals? All right. Well. I, I- should I? <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I think there's a couple of really important things when we're when we're talking about. I thought maybe we'd get through a half hour without talking about bathrooms. So, oh well. Gotcha. But, I'm sorry. No, oh, it's no. okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like 85 percent of my job now is bathrooms. So gotcha. Who knew? Who knew? And yours too, right? Yeah. So I know. But there's a couple of really important things to think about, and one is the way that many bathrooms are set up, especially in workplaces mm-hmm. public and public spaces, like, rather mm-hmm. than our homes, is that frequently they are sex segregated. There is mm-hmm. one for men and one for women. Yeah. Um, that sets up a couple of dynamics. One, it means that some folks, particularly gender and non and gender nonconform or transgender and gender nonconforming folks, can be in a situation where um, they really are trying to make a choice between two spaces in which they will at best be unwelcome and at worst may experience discrimination or violence, mm-hmm. okay? And that is not okay. If you can't use a restroom, you can't go to school, you can't go to work, you mm-hmm. can't do your errands, you can't look after your family, you can't be in the public sphere, Absolutely. right? Um, the second thing that I would say is, this is not the, the, the volume is really turned up on this right now, politically and socially. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the first time that the issue of restrooms and public facilities has been used as an agent of, as a, as a tool for social control, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if I'm getting too, too yeah, yeah, far afield, yeah. right? But, right. but um, you know, it's, it's a means to restrict some people's free movement in society. And yeah. so other examples of things like this that have happened throughout history include segregation, right? right? Again, um, include uh, in the early days of the HIV um, Mm -hmm. epidemic, Mm -hmm. uh, laws and policies being passed to try to restrict people who are HIV positive from using restrooms um, around the ERA. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. lots of worry and questions about, wait a minute, if women are fully in the workplace, what will we do mm-hmm. with bathrooms? And again, as, as you said, Cheryl, I mean, people have restrooms in their homes. Right. There don't seem to be any incidents right. around these, right? right? Oh so, so I think it's really, again, important to, to look at that legacy of using the restroom issue as a, as a tool to try to, um, to control who is allowed yeah. in public spaces, which is basically who is allowed to exist. Yeah, so exactly. that's one thing. And the other thing that I would say that's incredibly important is when we do have some all-gender restrooms, single occupancy, private restrooms with grab bars, mm-hmm. right, that have um, door buttons that will mm-hmm. open for you. And baby well, changing stations. And ba- thank <laughs> you. <laughs> right? yes. Thank yes. you. And baby changing stations. Mm-hmm. We are using universal design yes. to create restroom spaces that suit people in many different situations, which might include transgender people right. and might not, right. which might include people who are fearful they might be in a restroom with transgender people. Mm-hmm, There's a mm-hmm. solution, right? Mm-hmm. If you are terrified that you might be in a restroom with a transgender person, you can use the single occupancy restroom right. and you will know that you can lock the door and have your privacy. Right, so again, right. I, I'm really I'm really interested in how to get to the 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 common denominator of how do we ensure access? Yeah. Because if you don't feel safe using the restroom and there are no facilities for you or your baby that you need to change, yes. yeah. what your workplace communicates is you do not matter yeah. and you do not belong here. That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
Wow. So we have a couple more minutes left, um, and I, I want to talk about the trans guide that we created here at Cornell University um, in Human Resources. And, and uh, the, the guide it w- was really meant to, um, it, in all honesty, was geared towards transgender em- employees here at Cornell University in order to create uh, a much easier access to information around changing information and all the systems that we have our information in, uh, mainly Workday. But, um, you know, I think when I got here, I noticed that we had a website, and it used, it used to live on the LSBT Resource Center page, um, that talked about ways in which uh, uh, trans people can change their preferred name and things of that sort. And it was just so unorganized and, and, and not friendly in terms of how you access anything that sort. And so, like, we need a guy that expands on that. And so this guy really unpacks all those different and gives step-by-step mm-hmm. directions of here's how you change your preferred name. Here's how once you do change your legal name, how here's how you do it in the system and, and initiate that process. Here's how you have the conversation with your supervisor. Here are some things that you might think about. You know, um, what might you need, you know, in terms of support? What does support look like for you when you have a conversation with your supervisor? And, and it also then, offers um, a suggested mm-hmm. uh, list of things to do in what order. Because mm-hmm. th- certain things may have to come first. And right. Like that. And you get to choose who you want to share this information with first, second, and then you have a conversation with your supervisor. How do you want to tell your team? And so on and so forth. Right. So it's really full of great suggestions. Nothing is written in stone because transitioning is extremely personal mm-hmm. to, to the individual. Mm-hmm. But um, the guide is chock full of information and links mm-hmm. to organizations yeah. on campus and outside in the community yeah. that may have resources. Yeah, you hit on something that I really that was really important for me, particularly as a cis person writing <laughs> writing it. And and I and I you know engage trans people you know in terms of them looking looking at it and giving their thoughts and critiques on it. But one thing from my perspective that I really wanted to make clear that you just said really well was that this may not be how your transition looks, right. you know, and, and, yeah. and, and you really have the power. And I think that's one of the opening lines. This is your decision, how this yeah. looks. Yeah. Here are just some things that, you know, you can think about to get you started, to get your mind thinking about what do I, you know, want to start doing first and things of that sort. But, um, and then creating sort of like a, a plan, you know, you know, if yeah. you plan to medically transition, what, you know, when you need time away, what does that look like? And uh, access to benefits and, you know, reading the benefits and, you know, did do your benefits support you know things that sort. so just really trying to make sure that trans people feel like wow somebody thought enough <laughs> right and, and, and that's it like that you thought about me right. before you even knew I was here uh-huh. you know what I mean that you you prepare and you just you said this before you prepared the space for me mm-hmm. right and I was thought of before that to me is yeah yeah <laughs> I'm just so appreciative that you've put this together I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a tremendous tool and it really signals it mm-hmm. really signals welcome we expected you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. that's yeah. amazing. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? So, go, go ahead, Chris. You. I was just going to say the biggest piece of this for me and um, why I think it's such an amazing tool is even just reading it, this whole that whole process is challenging. Yeah. And yes. There's a lot that goes into it, especially like Sharon said, it's a process that's different for everybody, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. You've connected this with your office. Mm-hmm. You've connected this with yourself. Mm-hmm. I think what individual, what, and I've worked in this field of career development, specifically working with trans individuals before yeah. um, in Los Angeles. And what people really need to know is that, yes, this document's there, mm-hmm. but there's someone on the other side of that document yes. Yes. to connect with. Yes. Right? And I think that's the really important piece. And yeah. I think, um, so 
I'm so excited that that this is here. Mm-hmm. But I'm so excited that it's also connected with the office that you all are yeah, in. That, that, right? that, that, that's yeah. a really good point. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good point. I I love that, and it it, it, it does it, even as a cis person does me joy to know that I work for an institution that would right. go, yeah, that's let's do that. <laughs> like, duh, you happen. know, like there was no question about it. Like, yes. yeah, absolutely, this must happen. So yes. that it's was the human. It's the human and human resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Seriously, yeah. no, that that, really that, that, that that was really important, and just making sure that it's accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Like even Sharon, when you were giving some feedback on sort of yeah, the links of, for a person like... who's re- using a screen, <laughs> or, and even when you mentioned yeah. like the bathroom, you like accessibility is. Is, 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 is encompassing of a lot of different people oh, yeah. and making sure um, that even that document also exists in that space as right. well. Well, and it also um, recognizes that transgender people are people with disabilities. Yes. Transgender people mm-hmm. are people of Talk color. About transgender the people, intersectionality right? exactly. of all right. exactly. identities. Exactly. They can come together. And, yeah. and anytime we have anything new created here or updated, the idea, the ideal would be to have universal design, right. whether it's a document or it's a restroom. Universal design, I mean, who would ever push back against that? That means yeah. that everybody feels welcome, feels included, yeah. feels like, just like you guys said, we thought about you when we were making this yeah. happen, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's ideally, that's what we want. We want to universally design ourselves out of a job. <laughs> that's what Seriously, we want yeah, to do. So I can switch careers. I have a job. <laughs> I think something else you mentioned, Christopher, too, is sort of the human connection piece of it. Because a part of my role um, as a diversity inclusion programs lead is to support the LGBT community here on campus. And I've had the, the privilege and honor of particularly supporting trans people as they've begun thinking about, I'm ready to transition and, I wanna, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be doing that at work and helping you know individuals sort of navigate that. And they've mentioned that same thing. Having someone I can come and talk to and vent to right. about what's not going right and what is going well is really helpful in, in that process so that's been an honor for me that people have have felt that they could trust me with that information and come back (laughs) you know time time again so and that um, brings us full circle to where we started about what we need to feel like we're part of it here and we we talked about trust we talked about um, safety and things like that absolutely full circle absolutely Mm -hmm. well any final thoughts anything that we didn't mention that we want to make sure it gets said about creating inclusive spaces for trans individuals I think I, I again. I think each one of you have said this in different ways. I think I would just reiterate: um, uh, if you're not a transgender person and you're wondering how you can show up in the workplace, mm. um, that there are a couple of key things. And one is to ask how you can be helpful. Yes. And then a second, the second thing, of course, is to do it. But <laughs> but right. And I yeah. think again, in all your work, mm-hmm. that is that is what you do, and that is what you yeah. model. Yeah. Here is my idea. Tell me, is this helpful to you? Can you please give input into this process? Right. Absolutely. What what should be here that we're not thinking of? Um, and also, what causes do we have in common? And so again, yeah. right, uh, thinking about the needs of transgender people. Um, isn't something special or added on right. or separate. Correct. When you meet those the needs of transgender people, you have the potential to meet the needs of many, many different kinds of people, that's and that's right. what's important. Absolutely. Yeah. And darn it, you brought up something else too. Of like, so I would say too. You said two is do it. One and a half is listen. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I assumed right. listen. That's my right. that's my optimism. You made an assumption. That's my optimism. Taken after Lion King. Yes. Lion King one and a half. Right. Well, <laughs> actually listen yes. and be vulnerable. Yes enough to take in and I think for me in my cisness is acknowledging and 
we should probably define cisgender too, right? Um, that I identify with the gender that I was assigned at birth, right? right? And so also acknowledging when I have been complicit in transphobia, when I have been complicit in a workplace not being inclusive of trans people. And sometimes that's like we, we avoid that acknowledgement, right. you know? And it's like, it doesn't mean you're a horrible human being. Now you know, what do you do with that? Right. How do you take that? How, you, how are you vulnerable? Taking up the, you know, um, my favorite, one of my favorite writers, uh, Brene Brown, which talks about vulnerability, right? And be vulnerable enough to do it. I'm not a horrible human being. I'm, I'm not no longer worthy of love. It just means that I have some behavior that I need to check Right. And do better on. Right. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? How do I make my way down to Cornell and Sharon and Angela, Angela Winfield and ask them questions and Christopher right. Lua, right? And ask them, like, what do I do? I want to fix this. And I think right. a lot of our supervisors and managers have actually been doing just that. I've gotten a lot of emails where they're like, I want, I don't, I had one manager write to me, Cornell, I know nothing about what it means to be trans, but I want to get this right. What do we do? That and is I was like, one true. step one was already there. Yes. Yes. So, all right. Uh, I, there was so many more I want you, you, you always do that Luca <laughs> you spark so much but thank you so much for joining us thank you for being a part of this episode um, thank you I hope that there will be other topics that we'll bring you back for because I, I love the conversation mm-hmm. um, and as always thanks for listening and share this episode with as many people as you possibly can family put friends it put it out there <laughs> your colleagues um, and hopefully we will have a actually live in person workshop um, around this topic as well Sharon. and if you are listening on SoundCloud please go ahead and put your comments there because yes. we really want to hear the, what you are hearing from us. We want to know what you're thinking, what are, what's coming up for you as you listen to us have our conversations. So go ahead and comment. It's okay. Yeah. We, if, if we respond, we'll be very kind. Yes. Or you can email us at <laughs> ie-academy at cornell.edu. As always, thank you and have a good rest of your week, everyone. Thank you so much thank for playing. Thank you.